1: And I see the need
0: for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,307 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Melissa from Cutting Through the Matrix. Melissa, it is once a fortnight and <laughs> we just went through, I don't I don't know what you want to call it, but it was very cathartic, I believe, uh, for both of <laughs> us to to go and, and just kind of blow off some steam about stuff that we've been seeing for the last few days. But anyway, well, I'm sure maybe we'll get into some of that. But uh, how are you? I'm
1: hanging in there, Johnny. Thank you.
0: That's good. Well, I'm happy to have you back. And I suppose that we're going to get into uh, the, obviously the the obvious <laughs> the <laughs> obvious discussion. Um, and yeah. we were just kind of kicking around uh, a little bit before we started here. Uh, and we're just we're kind of starting uh, right away. But of course, before we get started, I would like to let everyone know that we did take a big risk when we started all of this. And we are not backed by fake corporate dollars that push fake agendas that make everyone hate each other. Case in point, the current conflict that is going on that we are going to discuss today. So if you're interested in supporting the work that we we do. We do offer additional features with our now active subscription service. And we do thank those of you who have subscribed to us and support our work. You have no idea what that means to us. That helps us in ways you couldn't possibly imagine. Benefits to our subscription service do include access to our instant messaging service for direct communication to us, along with early access to our upcoming and sometimes unpublished podcasts, as well as exclusive access to our behind-the-scenes uncensored prep sessions, where we talk about things that sometimes don't make it to the final product, which you're hearing now. So if you want to take part in this fight with us, if you would like to support a team that is willing, to do the real research and not give you fake nonsense for talking points. If you want to say screw you to the mainstream media, such as CNN, Fox News, BBC, Sky News and MSNBC, then the link is in the program description down below where you can click that and you can come on board with us and you can take advantage of these benefits that we're offering to you. And by doing so, you will be supporting the work that we do and also the research that goes along with that work. And together, we can take the fight to the doorsteps of these frauds that are on the television, in the newspapers and the talking heads on the international stage. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, together, we can take action as Subscriptions start at just $5 per month. So with all that being said, I suppose we will get started with the uh, the Israel and Palestine uh, conflict because that's what everybody's caught up in. Uh, and I, uh, again, I, I'm going to be having some conversations later in the week. We're going to be sitting down with Marty on Friday as as per and we're going to have Bruce on tomorrow and I'm sure he will have an armload of stuff to say about it because he's very passionate about all of that. And so I suppose we can just start there, and we can uh, we can continue on with what we were discussing before we started. Uh, wh- where would you like to uh, to start with that conflict?
1: Well, let me ask a question. Okay. Since I ha- we haven't been able to have Bruce join us for a while, you said he's very passionate. Yes. In in what is his take on what's going on right now? His he-
0: Well, I have not spoken to him since. Uh-huh. So I, because he's very busy working on another project behind the scenes, and I haven't talked to him since. So I don't want to misquote him. Um, and I don't want to speak for him.
1: Well, um, I, I, I think right there, that's as good a place as any to start, because what you have is You've got a topic that is so hot button. It's so loaded. Um, it is ha, it is going to have the entire world divided. And you've got people screaming World War Three, and you have people yelling about what you know from whatever side of the fence they're on. And there were several things that crossed my mind this morning, and that one of them is. It's a hot-button issue, but there is really no way that you can speak about this without getting into the idea of religious war. I I think religious conflict has to be addressed, and I don't think that it's possible to have a one-sided conversation about real, R-E-E-L, bad Arabs and Islam, I think that's a one-sided conversation. So you're talking about a geopolitical conflict that is very old, and you're talking about a religious conflict that is very old. And because of our own—I'm speaking now as a person who was born and raised in the West— and told that the West was Christian, you have people who come at the idea of their religion from very different angles. So unfortunately, what you have is a hot-button emotive topic and a worldwide general public that is fairly ignorant of real history and particularly the history, the real history of that region.
0: Yes. Have I,
1: I have I taught have I talked for th- two or three minutes and said nothing? If so <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it, no you, you have talked for two or three minutes. But no I, I agree that there are a lot of people that are that are ignorant of the uh, the history over there and I, I don't think I don't think they pay attention and I don't think they want to know anything about it. They just, they're in their group, right? So they're, they're in their their little frenzy. As you said, it's a hot button issue and everybody has to mm-hmm. take a side. And I, mm-hmm. I actually, I believe that's the intention of it right there is this, it's yes. meant to cause that that hatred and division between two mm-hmm. groups of people mm-hmm. and not just in the region, all over the world, right? Because Absolutely. we're seeing this stuff all over the world. So that that's what I think the bigger intent is here is, is exactly that.
1: Yeah. Oh, boy, where, where to start on this issue? I, th- I think the thing that I've observed, what I said to you right before you said, okay, let's start recording. I said that there was no way that it was actually impossible that this unfolded in the way that it was presented to us in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. To, f- f- to my Thinking It is impossible. That means not possible, completely out of the bounds of possibility that an attack of the magnitude that we're told that it was occurred without any awareness by the intelligence agencies of the Mossad, the IDF intelligence agencies, the NSA, the CIA, the Five Eyes. We are looking at a region there, Israel is protected by its Iron Dome. Now, immediately, the politicians went to work saying how a lot of money needed to be sent over there immediately to fortify their Iron Dome. But if you look at the money that has gone into uh, creating the so-called Iron Dome and the money that has been sent to Israel to fortify it in the subsequent years, this is a heavily... Defended country, and I'm not just talking about arms capabilities and defense capabilities. I'm talking about intelligence, knowing what is going on. Uh, the 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 existence of these rockets has been known for several years, I and mean, I didn't have a lot of time to look into it. But I found articles about this type of rocket. Going back to 2019, the the type, the manufacturer, the origin, uh, you know, there this claim that these are uh, Palestinian homegrown rockets. This is all known. Um, a, a an intelligence failing, an intelligence failure of this magnitude isn't possible. I've heard. So where do you I, go from there?
0: Well, I I've, I've heard people and I I agree with you. It is an intelligence failure because I I don't think for one minute that this slipped anyone's mind. I <laughs> I can't I cannot imagine as you said with Mossad, I don't see them dropping the ball like that at all. I don't see IDF military intelligence. I don't see them dropping the ball like that. Now, I have to ask the question uh, and I I fully believe that, that you know, we're, we're talking about sending arms and everything as you, you know, the politicians and everybody, they're talking about sending arms immediately and doing the Iron Dome and stuff. I look at this like, you know, if if Israel is in this position, I fully believe that they can take care of themselves. I, I do believe that they have the ability to be able to do that. What in the world have we been sending over there all these years? We've been supplying mm-hmm. them with military armaments and, and supporting their military to the tune of, I think, I think, I could be wrong. Please don't misquote me. <laughs> $3 billion a year is what we give them just for their military. That's not including any other aid that we give them. And That's so about they the number have, I've got. Yeah, OK. So, all right. So I'm not I'm not far off. But they have all of these things. They have all this artillery. They have all these tanks. And we're watching, you know, m- myself and and Marty, we're, we're watching these guys on Moped that are in, you know, just regular clothes and sneakers with an AK on their back with a shoelace and they're taking tanks. They're, they're blowing up tanks. They're blowing up uh, artillery. They're blowing holes in in the border wall. It makes absolutely no sense. None whatsoever. How could that have happened? You're talking about uh, an intelligence group that can successfully infiltrate their adversarial countries that are in the region without getting caught and this eluded them? I, I don't believe it. I just don't no. believe it.
1: So if, um, if so for me, the, the basic, uh, like I'm watching the movie. So the basic premise of the movie has fallen flat right off the go. They're saying, okay, this is how the action starts. So I don't believe it. So then where do I go from there? Well, if I don't believe that, if that did not happen, then what did happen? And that is when you're into a, a trickier terrain. Because whenever you talk about something like this, whatever it is that is going on, what I do know is that real human beings have lost their lives. Real human beings are suffering. And on both sides. On both sides. And this, this means that I can't just, I, I can't dismiss that. So I I can talk about wag the dog, which is the first place that my mind goes to. My mind goes to what are the long-term geopolitical goals in that region? What do we know? How do we know it? And then you're into PNAC and you're into forever wars and you're into the military industrial complex. And the, the, the countries that we know, and, uh, you know, listen, do I think that General Wesley Clark is somebody's hero? No, you just look into his background and who he is and what he's about. And why did he let slip the list? You know, the, uh, you know, so I uh, that a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I mean, but but it's there. Nonetheless, you don't just need a little three minute video clip to confirm the list. The geopolitical goals for the region have been published in numerous publications written about at think tanks for decades. If you've been paying attention, you know that there there are countries there and I will say Iran is quite near the top of the list, if they're not the top of the list, that's on the list to be taken out. So there's that. And then you have something that Alan Watt mentioned repeatedly is the, um, I think his name was Ronald Stores, who was a diplomat at the time of the Balfour Agreement. And his memoir was called Orientations. And in that memoir can be found him talking about what the Balfour Agreement was to do. And we're so what we're talking, and this is back in the 1920s, you are talking about the creation of the state of Israel in that region. And he said, what we're doing is creating an Ulster in the Middle East. So all that time ago, it has been known that the creation of the state of Israel was destined to be a region of constant conflict and whoever you talk to you i've already had some conversations with people who are not happy with the military industrial complex and the idea of uh, you know the forever war and all of the tax dollars that are being thrown there people who have said well People were starting to see through Ukraine and American people were tired of seeing their, you know, they just couldn't get on board with that conflict. So it's time to start a new conflict. Well, that's one way of looking at it. But they absolutely defend the right of Israel to exist. And, of course, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that this isn't the, the, the place or the time to talk about does a country have the right to exist. It doesn't matter whether they have the right to exist or not. They exist. They're there. And they've been there for what? 70-some-odd years, long, longer than that. I mean, you know, yeah, was, they're there. Yeah, uh,
0: 40, uh, 49, I think, is when the agreement was. It was right after the Second World War. Uh, the British set yeah. that up, I believe.
1: Yeah, that's, that's 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 going back to the Balfour Agreement in the 20s before they, yeah. you know, actually, you know. So it is the the <laughs> geopolitical machinations of the region. It's long been known that everything that has happened, that all of the wars, that all of the conflicts that occur between Palestine and Israel and Israel and its other neighbors. This was just the way that it was going to be.
0: Yes. And I I, I agree, you know, pe- everybody in the mainstream, they're talking about, well, six billion this, you know, that, that Biden released or something. And I'm like, this kind of conflict, this was inevitable whether you release six billion dollars or not. Mm-hmm. This was going to happen. Yeah.
1: So and I, I, I mean, the, when I said earlier on that you that it's really necessary to try, at least to try to think about it as religious conflict. There's so many things that people lack the, the education, the basic knowledge of a few things that would help in understanding. And one of them is, what is Christianity? How did it start? What do Christians believe? When did some of the basic concepts of Christianity start to change. And in terms of this region and this time that we find ourselves in right now, I think that it's just unfortunate that more people don't know about dispensationalism and the Schofield Bible. Because in dispensationalism, what you have is a literal interpretation of the Bible where thing where prophecies play out, and things occur in cycles. And I I was not raised with a real deep understanding of this, but I do know that 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 way of viewing Christianity means that everything that is going on in the Middle East can be seen through the biblical lens as being destined to happen, it's it's preordained because it's in the Bible, and it is in that version of the Bible—a very literal, prophetic uh, way of laying out the events that we're living through.
0: I, and, I hear it just on that point. Um, I mm-hmm. I hear I hear a lot of people, and I I don't know if you hear the same, but I hear a lot of people equate not necessarily just to that region of the world, but in the scope of everything else that we're seeing now. I hear a lot of people equate all of this to um, end times prophecy. What what do you say to something like that? In in your opinion, what what do you say to that?
1: Well, I I mean, I I think that that's what the Schofield Bible and dispensationalism has laid the groundwork for. Because an, an older... I don't know how to, you know, if it's a more traditional, but an older view of Christianity is that you have uh, doctrines and beliefs and interpretations of the Bible that have to do with three main areas, and that is salvation, grace, and works. So everything is seen through that lens, salvation, grace, and works. And there is not a huge focus on... John the Revelator in the Book of Revelation. Um, what you have in dispensationalism is this literal view, and a, and that the and that Israel is not a spiritual concept or a, a concept removed in time, but is actually and, and not the people of God. Do do you see what I'm saying there? Israel is not uh, the the body of uh, Christ or anything like that. It's a real nation in a real region. And everything then is playing out in in Bible prophecy is to do with the creation of this real nation there. So, so in other words, what I'm saying is that rather m- mystical concepts of uh, a Christian path and grace and, and all of that gets pushed aside for a literal interpretation of the Bible where things are going according to plan. And when you've got that, as Alan would say about uh, prophecy and revelation, he often said, you know, revelations, prophecy or a long term business plan. And I think we're looking at a long term business plan.
0: You know when when you're looking at this in terms of religious as you're as you're talking this is And when I say that's where I believe that this conflict was inevitable because you're talking about for lack of a better term You're talking about conflicts that go back thousands of years Mm -hmm. And and we think that somehow we're going to fix this by modern day politics I don't believe that i've never believed that now there might be short-term concessions or or some type of um um I guess, short-term political solution, but that's not going to stave off the inevitable. I don't believe
1: I, I think I think you're right that but that it 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 does play to how the different religious groups, the different peoples of the religious groups are used. And there's no way that we in our short lifespan of sixty to ninety years, can even comprehend the the real history of the regions and the real history of the people and even people who have you know studied it and are scholars and get into it when you're talking about religion you're talking about something that is it the the need for something greater than ourselves seems to be almost hardwired into it and you can bring up the idea of an atheist or an agnostic but there's even in that worldview, there is still something wired into them that is searching for a meaning that is almost religious to, to fill that place where the religion used to be. So if you're looking at history, through uh, as I do, because of knowing Alan, as something that has long been controlled by a brotherhood, if you will, an ancient priesthood who understands techniques, they understand true high sciences, they understand mass manipulation, then I think that it's well nigh impossible for people to rise out of the religious point of view and the religious fervor. And even the people who are most hardened against religion, and there will be plenty of them in the coming days and weeks ahead, we're going to hear all about religious war and what a shame it is Um, you're not going to hear much about Christianity in that. It's going to be poor Israel in this region, the Jews and the Muslims. It's going to be Islam versus Judaism. But the interesting thing that's missing in that component is in my lifetime, for my entire life, I have been told that I live in a Judeo-Christian society. I have been told that the West is a Judeo-Christian culture. And it's in my own, you know, coming into consciousness and thinking about things that I have come to find that to be a, a ludicrous statement. And I don't care who says it, how much education, uh, how, what their credentials are. We are not in the West, here in the United States, in the West, in Europe, we are not a Judeo-Christian culture. The West, the idea of the West, the art, the architecture, the music, the politics, all of this springs from a lineage that is the, the Roman Empire and then the Second Roman Empire of the Catholic Church. And Christianity in general, and it gets splintered. You've got Protestantism, but what what we have in the West is a Christian culture at its genesis, not Judeo-Christian.
0: You know, I, I think then, that right there. I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Well, and then at the East, if and by the East, I'm not talking about the Far East and Hinduism and Buddhism, but talking about Eastern Orthodox religion you still have a Christian culture. So if you look at the architecture in Russia and you look at the music and the literature, everything springs from an Eastern Orthodox world view. But it is still Christian at the Genesis. So I'm I'm setting the Jews aside for a moment because if you follow world history and you look at... The artifacts of world history. So, that again, I'm, I'm talking cultural artifacts, music, literature, uh, architecture, schools of thought. These would spring primarily from Hinduism, Islam, and Christianity. These are the three great religions of the world. And by great, I mean the ones that have built huge empires and with. Hinduism, you have a, a reaction to it with Buddhism, and that brings its own um, art forms, its own culture with it. But there isn't anywhere in the world that you, any time in the world, that you can point to and say this was a Jewish empire. And and I question. don't, I I have to qualify that by saying I don't mean that negatively. This is not an indictment. This is, there is a, a rich, colorful history of Judaism around the world, and it's, it, it's, you can argue that they've been in a thousands of years diaspora. And peoples of diasporas aren't planted firmly to make architecture and and the kinds of things that we typically identify with a civilization. So it's not an indictment, it's just... I'm trying to process a little bit of history right now and understand this from a bigger, a macro view.
0: Yeah, no, I I understand. Um, I'm I'm curious on on the the points you were bringing up there. I know you said you weren't going to go too far east, but where do the evangelicals in places like Japan, evangelical Christians, where do they fit into this?
1: Well, evangelical Christians, uh, and I am, I don't have a a huge. Understanding of evangelicals because not all evangelicals are going to be dispensationalists, that's but true. there would yeah, th- there there is a lot of dispensationalism in evangelicals and all of all of the Christian groups, but particularly the evangelicals have been. And I'm just going to say they've been weaponized. They have been weaponized to support certain geopolitical causes no matter what because they see them playing out and fulfilling bible prophecy.
0: I see. Okay.
1: And I don't I was, think that uh, yeah, I, I don't think curious. there's going to be any difference between a Japanese evangelical and an American evangelical if you have a the millennialism Premillennialism, dispensationalism. If you think that what is happening has to happen because it's Bible prophecy, and those are the versions of Bibles that you've read, and this is what, then you're being played for a political agenda. And I know this is a inflaming hot button issue.
0: Oh, it is, yes. When you get into religion, it just goes yeah. all over the place. It's like an out-of-control yeah. wildfire for people.
1: It is. It really is. But there's, you know, there's... So much going on. I, I mean, I've tried to imbibe a little bit as much as I could of some of the news. I'm not sure how much I'll be able to handle because it is so...
0: I can't handle much these days. I look there, at the uh, uh, news so on TV propaganda. and I'm like, you people just <laughs> stuff a sock in it already, will you?
1: <laughs> the propaganda is enormous and it's intense and it's very, very clever. I mean, this is the thing that... Is fascinating as much of it as I can stomach, because what has clearly happened in the two and a half days since this attack, or three days since this attack, what has happened is that in the in, in America and I think for other parts of the world. This has definitely divided along party lines. So it's it, and it's divided along party lines because people are told that it is supposed to divide along party lines. And it. it's very, very clever. The propaganda is extremely clever. On the one hand, you can look at certain news outlets, if you know, a, a CNN or MSNBC or, you know, and you can say, oh, that's just so crude. It's simplistic. And it's over and over and over um, the repetition of the ideas that the Hamas came in and they kidnapped and they raped and they killed um, hundreds of people at a young, young people. And uh, you always have to preface it with young because they were young and they were at a music festival and hundreds of young people were killed and uh, the families were dragged from their homes. And women were raped by the Hamas, except immediately the Hamas are not the Hamas. They are animals. Animals did this.
0: You know, I think and if we're if we're to look at the the politics of it, you know, as you're as you're talking about how the um, the agendas are played, you know, this as you pointed out, this this triggers the whole world. This puts everybody into, you know, a, mm-hmm. a divided camp. And if you look at the agendas that are being played by certain, how do I put it, um, certain ideological people within the United States, they have been demonizing certain groups of people for a good number of years now, haven't they, in recent times?
1: Yes, yes, they have been. And I spelled out the word real because that was a a documentary that was made some years back called Real Bad Arabs, um, Hmm. R E E L. And it showed the depiction of. Arabs and the Arab culture in Western entertainment. And uh, terrorists have historically always been Arab. You know, a- yeah. occasionally you'll get a, you, you get a Russian bad guy or a German bad yeah, guy, but German for the most guy, part, yeah, yeah. You've
0: seen the German bad buddies, guys huh? are yeah. popular. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. But, but what you have is a, a demonization of a culture, and the the same people who demonize them, we they will tell you immediately in a flash how backward and illiterate and um, just generally grotesque Arabs are. But what I mean, and first of all, you can't really say Arab and muslim you know islam is a religion that is uh, around the world too and of course all the talking heads on television are going to tell you that Muhammad said that everyone will be islam or they'll die you know so they they can quote three things from the quran with no understanding of it and they there's never a willingness to talk about the people who adhere to Islam, who live peaceably and have lived peaceably for thousands of years—it's—and how are terrorists weaponized? You know, I, I mean, we we know that people are weaponized. Cells are created. It, not everything springs up naturally. Not everything is. Um, an, an outcome or the byproduct of religious training. Um, there's religious training and then there's the weaponization of that religious training. And I can't, I'm sorry, this, this just popped into my head and I'm going to say it, but I can't make that much of a distinction between a weaponized Muslim and a cell terrorist and a weaponized young Christian on a college campus who is screaming for the blood of the Arabs or the families who are immediately ready to send their boys over to that region to die. And the one of the things that I think is so insidious but clever about the propaganda is that you have an uh, you, what you've got In the right at the moment are the people who are saying out of one side of their mouth, You can't do this to our boys. We don't want another forever war. We're not going to support going over there and doing this. This is wrong. And they are the talking heads who question the official story. They question. And they'll even say things like, it's impossible that this got by all those intelligence agencies. This is impossible. But out of the other side of their mouth, they will say, they will make the parallel to the southern border of the United States. And they'll say, hordes of immigrants are pouring over our borders. And in the last several days, I'm hearing them make sure that they get hordes of muslims are coming in right
0: I know. so it's that, a yeah.
1: new yeah. yeah hordes of muslims are coming in the southern border and what happened in israel is going to happen in our country if we don't secure our southern border so they've conflated two completely unrelated issues is not related as far as i can tell but they've conflated them purposefully and insidiously so that out of one side of their mouth they can be seen to say not our tax dollars not our boys not our fight but out of the other side of their mouth they say look Look at all the Muslims who are crossing the border with impunity. If we don't put a stop to it, what happened in Israel is going to happen in this country. So all of the sudden, the United States of America has become endangered of being Israel. Do you do you see how insidious that propaganda well, is?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I see I do see that 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 propaganda. Um, and I I do believe that we have had an immigration problem for a very long time. Uh, I don't think that it's new, but I I see the propaganda side of it. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. The fact is, is that we are apprehending people from all over the world on our U.S. southern border. And the second largest demographic outside of Latinos coming across our southern border, I believe, are Chinese nationals of military fighting age that to me quite frankly is quite a big concern that's coming from our border patrol that's not my opinion the uk in southern parts of europe such as spain and italy are dealing with the same problem you're dealing with endless boats that are usually run by NGOs, namely George Soros is one of them, that are bringing people without passports in from parts of sub-Saharan Africa and parts of the Middle East, such as Albania. And they are nonstop, day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And we have no idea who they are. We have no idea where they come from and we have no idea who their affiliations are or who their families are. So mm-hmm. that in and of itself is a security risk. You know, I I mean I, I come from a security background so I I look at that as a security risk. You couple that with the propaganda that's being pushed, I see it as a very real potential problem for attacks to be carried out here in the west because that's what's being called for. So I mean, I, I see it as a as a potential security risk. Absolutely, I have to.
1: Well, there is no there there is no question that a country that can't secure its borders or that doesn't make enormous efforts to secure its borders isn't really a country in 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 the, in the way that we define a country. I mean, nations, countries, they have distinct borders, but all of this goes into the bigger picture of free trade because free trade is not just goods. But it's goods and services. And what goes with services? People. So free trade means that you have a fairly fluid movement of people across all borders because the European Union, all of it, basically the whole world has been under a free trade attack for several decades now. So you have a relatively free movement of people. And really the idea of securing borders is just campaign rhetoric. There's no yeah. Uh, yeah. real m- meat or weight behind that. It's just something that people say at the election time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, if you if you donate to them, they'll fix the problem. They say so. Yeah that's what they do. So that's yeah, I, I do, I, I do agree that, um, that yeah, it, it becomes a, a political football. You know, I, I hate to use that term, but, um, that's, that's what it is. It's always, well, we'll fix this, we'll fix that. But then nothing ever gets done. I yeah. look at what is, I mean, I've been watching video after video of that, that are put out by the border patrol that have completely lost control down there on the U S Southern border. They're showing what's going on. All the people that are coming across, I mean, from central and South America, and it is just, it is nonstop. Now, I look at that as a a cloud and pivot strategy, and I believe we've talked about that before. And that's an overwhelming of our of our systems, you know, our our Mm -hmm. social systems and things like that. I I think that's Mm -hmm. intentional. That's meant to collapse us from within.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, you know, tight controls over immigration and tight controls over border. That's just what nations want to do when they keep the integrity and security of their nation. That's Ancient. Yeah. Always has been.
0: Yeah. And, you know, this um, this concept you, you talked about, well, you know, if you don't have borders, then you're not really a country. And I, I completely concur with that. You know, people talk about all day, you know, Americans, we love to say, oh, well, our rights, our rights, our rights. Yeah. Well, this kind of works succinctly with other things, right? It's, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a synergistic property, if you will, of each one of these things. If you want to have rights, well, then you need to have a constitution. If you're going to have a constitution, then you need to have a country. If you're going to have a country, then... You you need to be able to define what the borders of that country are, and you need to be able to define the enemies to defend the borders of that country. All these things work together. And if we don't have all these things working together, well, then there's no point to it, is there?
1: Mm -hmm. No. So, you know, going back to the Middle East, what you have in Israel is a well- defended country with, yes. uh, you know, what uh, the you, the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, uh, the Gaza Strip has been contested. Uh, this has been under Hamas control since, I think, 2007. But but. Nonetheless, with whatever incursions or threats there are, this is a country with distinct, tightly controlled borders, and it is a country with very tight immigration, probably the tightest in the world, or, or certainly right up there. So what you have there is a country that recognizes what it means to to be a country distinct sharp borders control over immigration and a more or less homogeneous people or the attempt to make it so
0: yeah and And, again that's that's what that's what perplexes me you know going back to the the point that we started off with that's that's what perplexes me is I don't buy the fact, given that, I don't buy the fact that this was a, an intelligence ball dropping, if you will. I, I don't buy that.
1: Well, I don't either. Um, I, I don't buy that. Uh, so that's off the table for me. So then uh, that, that takes me to the second point. If if it didn't happen the way that we're told that it happened, how did it happen and why and who and I think the who benefits question is always a good one to ask. But the second, you know, all of those questions, we won't have the answers to in, in our lifetimes or ever or anybody who follows us. We, what really happened, we won't know. But what it speculate. looks uh, you can only speculate. But um, I, I will say that I think watching the movie Wag the Dog every few years is a good thing to do because wag the dog really is revelation of the method how do how is a false flag done and i'm not saying that's what occurred here but how is a false flag done how is the propaganda generated how is the media controlled who makes this wag the dog event so that's one scenario. The other scenario we can take from the mainstream news, which is, well, yes, it's entirely implausible, as in not at all plausible, that Hamas did this all by themselves on their motorized paragliders. No. So then what happened? Well, they're just a proxy of Iran. And where does the who gets most of the heat in the middle east uh, most of the time it's iran we're always hearing about their weapons of mass destruction we're always hearing that they have nuclear capabilities
0: i actually heard the, today on a main, <sighs> on on a, on a on a very popular so-called conservative commentator that they this is just somebody that they had on some expert somewhere and he mm-hmm. said that Iran will have a nuclear uh, will have nuclear material in ten days. Well, now, how in the world do you know that? You're telling that to millions mm-hmm. of people. How do you know mm-hmm. that? What are you are you some kind of a, an intelligence guy now that all of a sudden has this information? Anything like that would be classified anyway, and you're you're releasing it to the public. I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I'm sorry. I just again, it's it goes back to the propaganda thing. If that is indeed the case, then you've got people that are the ones that you'll never hear about in history. You know, the ones we'll never know in our lifetime. They already know that if that is to be the case. Why are you out there spouting this rhetoric, throwing logs onto this fire when it's already out of control? You know, that's I'm sorry. Just it it irritates me when I hear people do that.
1: Well, I think that you've probably answered your question there that the object, the objective is for it to be out of control. Now, I, I, I don't think, I, I never think that they, those who are planning and implementing agendas uh, at the highest level of geopolitics really ever let anything get out of control. But that being said, I think the more violent people's reactions to this, the more they stand behind it has to be this or it has to be that, or this is the reason why this is happening. I mean, I mentioned to you that I was watching a show this morning because I wanted to hear how the propaganda was being put across. I was
0: gonna go there next. I was going to flip it around <laughs> and say, all right, let's talk about what you were watching today, but you beat me to it so
1: well it, it was it was very it, it started off with a kind of an even hand, like I've been describing um this is a a terrible thing. We don't want our boys, you know. Oh, Mister Mur- Murdoch and all of you toxic warmongers. We don't want our boys over on this conflict. And then it eased into the whole southern border thing. So then it became a uh, a left versus right issue. And then he deftly moved from there into um, I, I I can't. Re- remember the word that he used. And that's unfortunate because he said it was the word of the day, but it was something along the lines of interoperability or in other words, it's when seemingly unrelated issues come together under one umbrella. And Alan even talked about this. He said, why is it that you'll see uh, lesbians who are fighting and demanding that we do something about climate change? So this is the kind of thing that they were discussing on that. That's the craziest the... <laughs> thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, but what it is is that it's all groups are used, and because of that, they all get used for similar or related things. So this is what this... Um, The guy from the right was mocking. He was mocking uh, some black protesters who were saying that as black people in the United States, they understood the situation of the Palestinians for years, that basically the Palestinians had been prisoners. In their own country in their own region for all of these decades and that the black man could identify with it so this far right talking head was saying uh this is what you call this convergence or confluence or interoperability where you have one group who is a a, a woke black protesting black lives matter and he listed all of the things rapid fire that they were for or against And they're taking the side of Palestine, saying that they can really feel for Palestine. Well, then he went from that to say that the Palestinians are animals, Hamas are animals, they're animals, they're animals, they're animals. And tell us about the rape and the murders and the kidnapping and they're animals and the only thing that the Palestinians need for peace in their region, and I'm not exaggerating that he called them animals that many times, you know, uh, this mm-hmm. is television and people. Well, this is well see, resonating
0: well, to the younger crowd. You know, it that's, is. That's it's resonating.
1: Audience. And it's it's incessant. It is incessant. And if you turn the channel, because I did do a little bit of channel flipping and basically animals as a description. Uh, and there's no difference. There, there's no distinction between a Palestinian and Hamas. Uh, there's no distinction. They're just all animals, you see. They're not human. And that's a really Sub-human. important.
0: Yeah. They're so subhuman. The way, they're not. Yeah, yeah, the way they're po- pointing it out.
1: So that you're,
0: you're saying yeah. the and I haven't watched the the American mainstream press on. Well, I've I've seen part of it, obviously. But you say you were scanning through some of that stuff today, and you say that the 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 mainstreamers were saying the same thing.
1: The mainstreamers were saying the same thing, but they didn't use the word animal quite so liberally, quite so freely. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. the mainstream is definitely giving you um, lots and lots of visuals of. Rape and atrocity and kidnapping yeah. and, well, they know, need that over shock and over and over.
0: Yeah they, yeah, they need the shock factor.
1: So there, there's a lot of that going on. So whatever you look at, and and most of what you can find streaming or on the mainstream or the alternate, most of what you can find shows you either Israel's retaliatory strikes. Or it shows the same initial uh, attacks that were done. So the initial attack on the music festival, the initial kidnappings and people being dried from their homes and the, these, the, the, that same kind of thing over and over. That's what you're getting. And then this talking head went on to say, uh, with no sympathy to the Palestinians whatsoever, that they were animals and that all they needed to do to achieve peace is lay down their arms. But they're not going to do that because they're jealous of Israel. They're jealous of Israel's prosperity and wealth, and uh, they'll never have what Israel has, Israel's um, high standard of living. They'll never have that, and so they're jealous. And this speaks to um, the audience that can take this in and not be able to filter it but to be mobilized one way or the other, this is a, a volatile audience with very little grounding in history, almost no understanding. I would, I would, I would go, I would go so far as to say they have no understanding of history.
0: None. I would go so far as to say the host has no concept or understanding of history?
1: Um, I'm a little more cynical than that.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, that's fine. You're yeah. allowed to be cynical here. That's okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah. I, they make good I, money. <laughs> they make Propag- a whole...
1: Propagandists make very good that,
0: money. <laughs> that is an amazing... You know what? You know, Next time you're on, provided the world is not further on fire, maybe we can discuss that because that is quite something. I was actually... I've, I was thinking about this earlier today uh, and, and a lot this week off and on. I'm like, you know what? These people that have no idea about anything are making all kinds of money. They're making <laughs> boatloads of money nobody likes to even point out that um they've been wrong about everything <laughs> you know they they're they're never right about anything but yet they make all kinds of money on both sides and i i just like i can't even figure this out this, this still like of all of all the things that i that i study and i look into and and things and i and i research for myself i think to i think how on earth does that happen how does that happen to this day it eludes me as to how that happens but mm-hmm. stupidity like we we pay We pay idiots. We pay scribblers and and morons and and buffoons. This is what people throw money at. And I do not understand it. I don't understand it at all.
1: Well, uh, I I mean, the simplest explanation is they're hired guns. You know, they scribble yeah. their mouthpieces, they're scribbling, they're scribbling actually works in favor of official narratives.
0: Well, I, I can't, I, I'm sorry, I just, I, I like to think that I have some, some true integrity to myself, as do you, I'm sure. I pride myself in the things that I take my own time and sacrifice my own you know, time to, to look into and to, to research and spend time on and to present to other people, as do you. And jealousy is not the right word because I'm not a jealous person. I, I'm really not. But I'm almost disgusted by what I see. The fact that these people know nothing, they contribute to nothing and it seems to me like they just waste people's time. We were talking about a certain organization, and I'll call them out, Turning Point. We were talking about that organization before we started. I see that, and I see I see a waste of time. I see a waste of energy, and I see a waste of money. Uh, and I see well, a whole bunch of people being misled, and I don't like it. That really it, upsets me.
1: It's worse than a waste of money. I mean, when I was talking about the host saying animals, 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 that was Turning Point.
0: Yeah, that, that
1: That was, that was yeah. Turning Point. That was... Yeah. Um, and this is geared towards a younger, this is geared towards college-age students, which, you know, college-age students are military age. So it's it really yeah. that yeah. kind of hateful rhetoric is aimed towards military-age young men and college people and, you know, people who just training the next round, uh, the next wave of voters until it's all tied up. But I I can't just say that this is a waste of money. This is morally repugnant and it is disgusting.
0: Yes, that's I'll go with that. Yeah, it's morally repugnant that it disgusts me. to to see what goes on with this stuff. It really, really upsets me as an American that upsets me because that's not who we're supposed to be. No. Well, we are getting down to the final few minutes here. I suppose that we can close the chapter on this week. Would you like to tell us (laughs) about what you've been working on, on your website and what you've got coming up on your latest podcast?
1: Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, Thanks for that opportunity, Johnny. I Posted an interesting real history last week that hopefully people will look at. Um, didn't go up on all the channels because it was a little bit hot topics. But it was called Over the Mountain, and it was a different format for me. The person that I was conversing with had done the bulk of the work, really all of it, and presenting some interesting conversations about directed energy weapons, nine eleven planes, and COVID nineteen. Uh, So it was three distinct topics with a really interesting point of view. And the real history that's going up tomorrow is with neil foster who's once a month but we were also joined by a singer who d- writes and performs protest songs it goes by the name of angry north and boris's bitches and that I, that was quite good I'm sorry
0: that's that's good I, that's that's, yeah. that's good
1: yeah and i've put up the first two of some uh, shorter clip series taken from one talk that Alan did, I divided it into six talks. The first one that went up was religion. And the second talk that just went up was entitled, it's a search for personal meaning. And those were good. And then I just wrapped that this is someone else who's been doing the experiments series. And I put up the last of those which was entitled Plato's Cave and taken a little bit of a beat before the next one of those series goes up. So quite busy, but productive. And it's, uh, you know, all in the service of the legacy that Alan Watt left. This just amazing, amazing body of work that he left us where really, as far as I'm concerned, the explanation to everything can be found.
0: yeah he was uh, he was very articulate in the way that he put things. I, uh, I I really appreciated the work that he did. I'm curious about the uh, the Plato's Cave. Uh, and the reason I'm curious is because I recommended the book uh, Shadow World to you. Uh, by Robert Chandler, and mm-hmm. it's about uh, basically the uh, the Institute for Policy Studies and how they. Uh, it goes along. It basically it, it goes along with the book Foundations by um, mm-hmm. uh, Wormser mm-hmm. that you were talking about. It, it's mm-hmm. basically the same thing, and it works in some of the other geopolitical things that we've talked about over the uh, over the weeks and months and years. The first two chapters of that book are about Plato's Cave. And how they they use the uh, the images on the wall, and they blow them up, and they you know they act out certain things, and it shapes people's opinions, and how it, it tricks people into different forms of, of propaganda, and how they're subject to this type of thing, and how it was done on the cave walls, and I, I find that absolutely fascinating, and how it's applied to, to modern day propaganda kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that. Uh, I'll have to. Take a look at
1: it's that. a it's a good sh- uh, video. Really, really. Yeah,
0: I'll have quite take a look the, at it. Yeah. Well, we will see you in two weeks, yes?
1: Yes, thank you.
0: Very good. Again, that is Melissa from cuttingthroughthematrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to get over there and take a look at the treasure trove of information, that, where they maintain the life-collected works of the late, great Alan Watt. Also, her podcast, Real History with Melissa, that is available everywhere you get your podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure, Melissa. I will see you in two weeks. Thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone. Have a great evening.